There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast, number 163. A couple of quick show announcements before I uh, stuff this podcast directly into your brain. I'm doing a Comedy Central hour-long stand-up comedy special on February 17th. You can just have tickets to that if you want them. Just take them. I demand that you take these tickets. Uh, If you're going to be in New York, that's where it is. You can go to Nerdist.com slash calendar to get those tickets you'll get them we need like 800 people there so if you go now you'll be fine Uh, and then I'm going to be running that hour long set for practice in Los Angeles at Nerd Melt on February 6th at 9.30pm again totally free show come by I just kind of want to hear the hour uh, you know just the way that I've been doing it lately I've been been doing the set in pieces that I want to do on the special so February 6th will be the first time that this particular material is all cobbled together in this way so will it work well come and find out uh, so that I can really crap my pants between February 6th and February 17th uh, but we'll get it we're gonna get through this together you guys I know you don't care as much as I do <laughs> I don't know I'm trying to assign more emotion to you than you actually have for it. But I feel like you're a part of all this stuff, you know? Like, you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've kind of watched it build, and you are a part of it. I mean, you, for better, for better or for worse. And so I, I thank you for that, and, um, and, and I appreciate it. Also, we're coming to Boston to perform in Matt Myra's hometown. You can actually see all of these people that Matt Myra talks about on the podcast, uh, they will come <laughs> to the show. Maybe we should have them be guests. We should have some of his friends be guests on the on the podcast <laughs> in, in Boston and just and just talk about him and just talk about him, not talk shit about him because that's what Jonah does. But I mean, just I want to find out more about what's inside the little robot that is Matt Myra. So that's May fourth. You can also get tickets for that. It's at the Wilbur Theater, uh, Nerdist.com/calendar. So come on to that as well. And then a bunch of other shows that we're doing. More shows being added all the time. Uh, now on to this episode. Uh, my our friend Bob Odenkirk finally came on. So this is uh, this is that episode. And Bob is such an amazing. He's such an engaging storyteller. 
that he, I feel like Bob could have just been there without us telling amazing stories uh, for an hour. I would listen to him talk for hours. Uh, so this was super, super, super fun for us. And, you know, Bob was so inspirational to all of us with Mr. Show and 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 just sort of like kind of what he did in that in that kind of subgenre of, of comedy has, has been so important, I think, to sketch people and improvisers and so this was just a really fun sh- fun show for us to do. Uh, Nerdist Podcast episode number 163 with Bob Odenkirk. Now entering Nerdist.com. The Glendale side, there's like three restaurants that are just like are being made right now. So it's like really exciting because there's going to be more to walk to. Great. What Great. if they're all terrible? That, it's a good possibility. What if they're all variations on the same thing and they're terrible? It's all, it's all Americana. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, in New York, um, in, down uh, south in Soho, they opened a, uh, a restaurant that's like a Mexican-Japanese fusion Wow! Well, isn't that that's like every truck? Every, I guess every so. food truck is like Asian, no, it's Korean Mexican. tacos. But isn't it no, amazing? But it's not only, but it's also like Japanese meat. But that's where we are in our culture, where there's like there are so few original ideas anymore that it's like yeah. when you when you think about the media, like like how many T-shirts are mashups of things, like oh, yeah. it's Super Mario and the TARDIS, which I'm fine with. Sure. But, it, but it is funny, like how many. It's been going on for a while out here, though. You got you can go to a place on Hollywood Boulevard and get donuts, Chinese food, and chicken wings. What was uh what was um was it uh, cowboys and turbans? Cowboys and turbans, yeah, Wait, where is this? It still exists. It's just like a really like it's like you know yeah. it's like Tang's well, donuts. That's just a mistake. That's just, <laughs> that, that was an they, they made the shop like oh oh we messed up. Oh, I got all these donuts though, but, hat, but I got the, the chicken hat, wings. That's not a hat with yeah. turban. <laughs> But the Cowboys cowboy, and Turbans is great. Cowboy. Can, chicken tiki masala inside of a burrito. That's a good idea. Yeah, good. I like the food trucks. The food trucks are. We are a they're, food truck culture great. now. But how do you trust them? That's my thing. Is like the whole like food great. poisoning thing. The paint job. They have a nice paint job. Yeah, yeah. that's Real. the best you have. That's the only. Because that is a restaurant that can get away. Yeah. <laughs> get, you could never track them. Yeah. Trouble, you could never get, track them. You know, hit yeah. the gas. Yeah. <laughs> People are puking. Let's go. Let's go. And then they next just get city. away. They, they get away the next, 30 miles an hour. No, they go to the next city. Enjoy your salmonella. <laughs> sell their uh, tiny uh, taco. Yep. Ta- disease tacos. <laughs> tiny blue tiny well, tacos. So at what point is it gourmet? And at what point is it just lazy? I, there's a place called Jollibee. You know it? Oh, yeah, the, the yeah. Filipino fast food. There. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've seen it. I thought I've it was never Korean. gone. Inside. No, it's Filipino. Why is that I'm gross? You've been in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm from Hawaii. So, like, I grew up eating, like, you know, Filipino I, I food. Know oh, yeah. Did yeah. you go? Have you eaten there? Yes. Now, I hear they have spaghetti and hot dog. Spaghetti and hot dog, yes. Yes, they do. You can they also, call it that spaghetti and hot dog. I can't remember. They have like a they have like a um, good fun burger is one of their burgers. Yes, and um, but, yeah. But spaghetti and hot dog. I mean, is that gourmet? Like it's that's not like Chef Boyardee. Yeah. Can't you get like canned spaghetti a, with hot dog pieces yes, in it? Yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah. but they don't America. call it that. 
And at Jollibee, they call it proudly spaghetti and hot dogs. Yeah, big up there on the side on the menu. That it, that's all it is. Yeah. If you're gonna that's do it, you go get behind the, it. You know what? Just when you go through don't the drive through, that's the first thing like they the ask you. Welcome to Jollibee. Would you like spaghetti and hot dogs? I would like to go to the chef in the Jollibee test kitchen. I'm putting cupcakes in uh, sandwiches. I'm putting <laughs> meatloaf. Uh, That's a research and development. Rip meatloaf pie ice cream. It. Yeah, piece of pie in it. It's you know, they got that, they the they got that big mascot too. That little that Jolly Bee. Uh, yeah. you see that well, out front. The mascot's front? good. I like the mascot. I I have a. I I've never been in it because it just seems so bad so poorly uh planned it's and... a chain in uh the philippines yeah. and there's a, there's actually uh as far as i know two locations out here there's the one over there on uh, beverly and yeah. in vermont and then there's one in the uh the filipino mall up in eagle rock plaza I'm that's where i it. saw it yeah, I was yeah like, that's it's within the mall next to the target i was the very filipino confused mall. so there's two yes as far as i know my best friend in high school my best friend in high school is filipino so naturally he taught me in how to say in tagalog uh Peck, peck, call me bajo, which means your pussy smells. That's all I know oh, about, I the, they, about it's Filipino culture. It's a common saying, I'm sure. But, <laughs> that no, that's saying? a greeting. That's how, oh, you say, yeah, yeah. that's how you say hello. Um, chicken adobo, that's a great Filipino. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I've, I've been getting really back into all the um, Hawaiian culture because my parents sent me a Raps Hawaii DVD, which is like Rap Replinger was like the biggest Hawaiian comic of all time, but no one will ever know. Just uh, the blank stares I'm getting right now. His name is Rap Replinger. Is he funny? Um... If you know <laughs> the cultural references, it's, it's amazing. It's fucking great. It's amazing how he's really good. He's good if you know what it's like. You know, when I grew up watching him, because you know, right. it's like he died before, like right around the time I was born of a cocaine overdose. But like you know, he, they played his special every year on and on TV. Rap the Replinger, coke yeah. overdose. I'm writing that down. the DVD and the documentary. My parents me. Yeah, well, you know, he's like just native in a in a Hawaiian sense where he's got Portuguese and was Filipino it just and, cocaine he overdosed on? That's, cocaine that's and impressive. Pineapple. Cocaine and Pineapple hiking. And cocaine. <laughs> cocaine, cocaine and hiking. Cocaine and hiking. That's what yeah. it was. And he like was hiking in the the falls near my neighborhood. Monolith oh, yeah. Falls, yeah. And what what uh, where what island did you grow up on? Oahu. Oh, I don't See, know. mainlanders die in hotels like the Chateau Marmont, but Hawaiians they fucking get coked up and then and die in a waterfall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> heroin and surfing. That's does another cocaine, dangerous. Does cocaine make waterfalls better? I don't know. It makes it faster. Does it make everything? Don't go chasing them. Don't go chasing yeah. waterfalls. <laughs> yeah. Um. And what was the what was the this this the really famous singer? Oh, uh, Israel Kamakavika Ola. Is yeah, 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 yeah brother yeah. is yeah. Uh, or and as he I died? he died of just obesity Fat. problems. Oh, that was the huge he was a, yeah, he was yeah. enormous though, yeah. right? Like five hundred pounds. I, I got into a fight uh, uh, at school because um, like uh, we were the the joke between our friends was. Uh, because uh, everyone called him Brada is Israel is you know and uh, so I said Brada is more like Brada was, <laughs> good joke and, yeah yeah and then uh, I just feel you know tapping on my shoulder <laughs> and it's like Brada what you know like Brada is you know <laughs> and then punch punch and then, yeah yeah <laughs> one of many altercations with the Samoan people's Joe yeah, Ray. well just uh, you know the native culture I was just <laughs> yeah. in Hawaii three island vacationing or Maui yeah everyone goes to Maui. Never been there. Oh, so that, that video from Maui of, of Weird Al, Steven Tyler, and, and uh, Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper performing Come Together, just like in a local bar. Well, you know what it was? It was a, it's a, it was a New Year's party that the, the hotel put together. Oh, okay. And uh, Tom Arnold was the, uh, the MC. All right. Yeah, I so, saw him off to the side. Of so, like, wait a second. Tom... Oh. <laughs> it sounds like a weird dream. Like, Bob, I had the weirdest dream. This I was in like, Hawaii, yeah, and Steven Tyler was on. there. And they were eating spaghetti, <laughs> all spaghetti hot dogs. <laughs> and then that, there was this, that, this so, big jolly. Is that a, is that a musical out? spaghetti with hot dogs? So wait, 
It was Steven Tyler. Yep. Steven Tyler, uh, Weird, Al. Weird Al, Alice Cooper, and then off to the side was Tom Arnold. And then like the three of those guys. Up uh, hiking. Probably, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is a big mess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it actually sounded together. good. It, what was so impressive about the video is that Al was the only one who was totally off book. And Steven Tyler did come together for the Sgt. Pepper's movie. Yeah. And also, like, yeah, you see Alice Cooper with the lyric sheet out. At least, like, you know, Steven Tyler was just singing the words he knew. Yeah. But, yeah you um, want to see a, you hear a weird thing? I was at that Springsteen show at Tramps when he got the E Street Band back together. Really? First show. And he had a binder with lyrics in it. Oh, wow. For like the old classics. I guess when you... I think he, you, you I think he remembered Thunder Road. <laughs> Billy Joel does that too. But Billy Joel has a binder I guess when you have that many songs, I mean, it's well, just like... Well, that many years. I mean, they hadn't played together for like eight or ten years. I don't know. I mean, if someone, if someone said, hey, Bob, do that to... Which actually leads me to my first point is that the very first time I think I ever saw you was on the A-list on Comedy yeah. Central. Mm -hmm. And you had a bit that I loved about... Uh, um, it was the sort of, it was the kind of like uneducated differences between Lincoln and Kennedy. Oh yeah, and you no, had it was, it was about Lincoln, and he. Uh, it was my one man show about Lincoln. It was a one man show. It was a piece of a one man show about Lincoln by a guy who just clearly did, only knew like the kind of stuff you read on a <laughs> dinner place mat from a, you know like a cracker Denny's, barrel. yeah, Cracker Barrel. So it, part of it was. Lincoln's secretary. I don't remember the joke, but a lot of it was like at one point I pull out a penny and go, hmm, I've lost weight. <laughs> I actually saw a Lincoln one man show in Gettysburg once. So oh my gosh. Inspired me. Was it, was, it was good. I mean, the guy was good. He looked like Lincoln. Afterwards, I was in the little restaurant near the theater and he's eating. That kind of ruins <laughs> yeah, the, that yeah. does, yeah. He's eating spaghetti and hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but he really looked like Lincoln. And I, I, you got to wonder what came first, the appreciation for Lincoln or you look like Lincoln. <laughs> because if, if, they, if the appreciation do? came later, that's kind of, you know, artificial. That's just cheating. Like, I really yeah. want to do this Taft show. You're really mm. more of a Lincoln type. Yeah. Oh. Keep eating. All right. Um, do you, are you looking forward to the movie, the Lincoln movie? Sure, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I think it'll be cool. I mean, I like Spielberg. He he better make it a little gritty. You know, Lincoln was a, a kind of a depressed guy and an intense well, his guy. his wife well, Daniel was crazy. Day, Daniel Day-Lewis is uh, playing yeah. him, right? So he'll bring a lot of intensity and kind of a darkness to him, which I think you need. Lincoln yeah. was kind of a dark guy. I mean, Some say he was I, closeted. I read a, a book. Uh, yeah, that, well, I don't buy yeah. He lived with Joshua Speed, and he traveled around... Illinois with that guy, and they shared a bed. But everyone shared beds back then. There weren't that many. There was a the freezing bed, out. The bed shortage of the 1800s. <laughs> Cuddle up for warmth. No yeah. funny business. And that's also another thing they said. There's also yeah. I'm not sure if these are conspiracies or just uh, you know hearsay, but like they say that his voice actually was really high. Is really high and shrill. Yes, he had a kind of a high pitched laugh. Oh, was uh, it the laugh that was? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't vote for that. Lincoln's laugh. I would have, like, he, uh, uh, I really think, as much, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is certainly one of the greatest actors of our generations. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, I was, I have really been excited when I heard that Liam Neeson was going to, just because, like, physically, I can see Liam Neeson as Lincoln. He's kind of a tall, imposing, lanky yeah. figure. Yeah, but did you see that shot of Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln that... I mean, I saw one shot where you saw well, like Daniel the Daniel Day-Lewis is four foot nine. You know that, right? You know that, right? They, they have to do the thing. Tiny we'll Lincoln. make the difference with the hat. No, they yeah. had a picture of him eating. 
No, he's Head there's on. also a set shot of right Lincoln, now of him in full. Like, he's full starring dark. in uh, Shrink, awesome. Shrink and Lincoln, Shrink where Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln gets hit. <laughs> Lily Tomlin's in it. John Wilkes Booth. It's an alternate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She John, plays Tiny Mary Todd John, Lincoln. It's an, it's an alternate universe. John Wilkes Booth goes to a sad name, but accidentally brings the, the shrink, shrink ray, yeah. and then Lincoln begins to shrink, and then it's just what yeah. happens to America. Like people can't yeah. handle a tiny Lincoln. And he has to turn to a, a former foe to try and figure out the cure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Wait, what? Oh, I don't know. I love that idea. <laughs> sell, that Shrink and Lincoln. Adult, sell that to Adult Swim right now. <laughs> the whole series is just he gets smaller and smaller, and yeah. then the last episode, he just disappears. The last episode is just... still be alive. Yeah. yeah. I was watching The Godfather uh, today, Godfather 2, and um, you know how Brando, like, lives through the... They they attack the, the mm-hmm. Don, and, yeah. and they... And he lives through it, and he's like the Godfather again. I kind of forgot about that, and I'm like watching it, and he got shot up, and the next thing I know about that character is he falls over in the orange grove, <laughs> yeah, chasing a little and girl. I figure, but then all of a sudden he's back, like Sonny gets killed, and he's back in charge, and he's like having a meeting, and he's arguing about what can you know how what the rules are going to be, and I thought, what if he just kept going? What a great thing. <laughs> he just couldn't die. Three. He's still coming in. Just keeps on coming back. And he's like 100, 120. <laughs> uh, a, a super centenarian, I found yeah. out. Super centenarian. Super centenarian if you're over 100. Oh, yep. really? That's well, a, that's a wow. fun, useless factoid. Bob, you... Um, uh, it's great to finally have you on the podcast. Oh, cool. Um, Am I on yet? We're, have we, we started? Yeah, we started a while oh, ago. okay, shoot. Um, damn it. <laughs> Uh, take all we can't burn that gold. You got a yeah. feedback problem here. It's like, oh no, that's just peaking. a picture. That's just no, a picture, it's Bob. Completely. No, it's blew not, it out. No, I know. Yeah, that picture. Because you can't see it from the angle that he can. <laughs> oh, it's actually. Yeah. He completely blew out the computer. And it's on permanent <laughs> feedback forever. Yep, that's right. Uh, uh, we started. Wow. Yeah, we've been. Yeah, this has been. Oh, it's all been recorded. Are you gonna cut out my swears. No, all the swears are staying in. <laughs> Uh, did you swear at all? Because my mom, this is her only podcast. That she listens to. She gets Robert, out of church. Robert, why? She gets right why on the word blue, Robert? Robert. Uh, I thought you were going to change him. <laughs> oh, that happened to me. The, one of the first times I did stand up in an actual oh. club setting. And I, your mom came? My mom came. Oh. I did two shows at the. Or I, you know, I had done stand up in college a few times, you know, a handful of times, and then I went and. Uh, I I did the Irvine Improv. I got a set at the Irvine Improv one night, and I had a great set. I'm like, well, this isn't so hard. So the next night, I invite my parents and my girlfriend out, Me. and it was the it was the kind of set where people just started going, oh, after every oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. And I didn't have the stage. I didn't have the experience to pull out of it. I just got super like, <laughs> this isn't going well, oh. you know. And it was. After the show, my mom, like, I, I just wanted to die. Yeah. And my yeah. mom was like, you know, I don't know why you have to be so dirty. And I'm like, no, it's not the time. <laughs> yeah. My mom saw me and she uh, she's like, she's like, I don't get, like, because the set went okay. She's like, I don't understand why people were laughing. Oh, oh <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I was like, but I okay. didn't. Oh, so but they were. You're telling my mom saw me do stand-up stories. Um Wait, <laughs> <laughs> like that's a category. It's a segment. It's a segment. It is, it. right? Yeah, it, it is. is yeah. Every stand-up can tell. It's got one. Yeah. Talk about the night their mom came. So my mom came to see me, and she's very religious. And, uh, you know, I did my stuff, and I tried to clean it up a little, but there's sweaty parts. There's just parts <laughs> where you sweat, because that's your material. What are yeah. you going to do? Not do it? You want to get some laughs, you know? And 
You just suffer through it. But here's the crazy thing. It was me and like some offbeat. Yeah, it was, you know, I was very young. And, uh, and then there was like some clubby type guys mm -hmm. on this, on the show, like very club material. One of the guys, he still works in Chicago area and, um, and very crude dating, you know, women, women, why do women go to the bathroom in twos? And well, it's nobody's ever. <laughs> they just ask. The Nobel Committee is, <laughs> has the medal waiting. Waiting. They're sitting on it. <laughs> it's, it's out of its box. They will hand it to you as soon there as... There is a guy just holding it, too. Just it was going to go to the discovery of the Higgs boson, but it actually went to, the, it actually went to like Boo Boo Dookie, who figured out why men and women go together. But of course, that was, her favorite, women. that was her favorite comment. Of course. I mean, yeah. he's swearing up a storm. <laughs> Talking about you know vaginas and but very but also very clubby very like in a certain way very middle of the road really she just he, not yeah. not uh, the ideas aren't abstract they're not interesting she spoke and, his unwritten language like his like, like just that uh, vibe you right you liked him best of all what <laughs> Did that... I, I think she's just reacting first of all it's not her son so it's it's okay that he's crude right yeah yeah and. And secondly, she's just the, he killed. Right. But he killed. And so everyone's laughing, so he was the best. Yeah. Was that how did, how did you how do you think you kind of developed like if you if you grew up oh, in Oh, well, in a my fairly... mom is really funny. She oh, she is. is. A, oh, she's always making wisecracks and she's very catholic and very um, you know, she donates all her time to charity and she's very serious about life and I think judgmental of mm -hmm. everything and everyone. Very and, which I think is a comedian thing too. We're it's my all mom judgmental. too. Same Catholic. We're very same. judgmental people. You have I mean, to that's be. That's what we're doing up because you have to getting form up opinions. on stage and making judgments yeah. on, on everything. Yeah. Mostly declaring everything stupid <laughs> and, and silly. Um, so she's really funny, and my dad was really funny. Like he made wisecracks all the time, jokes, and I didn't know him that well, but he was funny and. Uh, and my brother Bill is actually the most like my dad of the seven kids. Seven. Oh Odin my Kirk God! I didn't realize there were seven Odin Kirks. You are yeah. Catholic. Um, yes, very. <laughs> and 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 Bill is the most like my dad, and he writes for The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you guys both wrote for SNL, right? No, I did. Oh, I thought. I don't know. Why no, I thought Bill, Bill wrote was for in, SNL. Uh, he was at. Uh, um, oh, what's that little college? Uh, University of Chicago. DeVry? <laughs> he got a doctorate from University oh, Jesus. of Chicago in chemistry. <laughs> oh, my God. And the day after he got it, he flew to L.A. and started working on Mr. Show. I mean, he was a very funny guy all his life. And he used to visit me at SNL. He visited me four or five times in the years that I was there and impressed Robert Smigel and Conan O'Brien just with those short visits, you know, and hanging out because we were all writing together, me and those guys. Yeah. And so to the point where when he was done with his, even though he'd only met them five or six times, they would all vouch for him for a oh, job. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, and he also helped me occasionally. I'd call him with an idea and he'd, he'd give me some jokes or something. Um, he, he had uh, something, it was his idea that I wrote for uh, the Ben Stiller show, uh, Three Men and an Old Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so Bill has always been a really funny guy in the way that my dad was funny, similar. But uh, and then the other brothers and sisters, not as funny, but still uh, 
they joke around a lot. Where did you start? Was stand-up the first thing that you pursued, or did you um, pursue writing? No, I first? love sketches. I really did. I always loved sketch comedy. I, I uh, loved Monty Python. I loved the goodies mm -hmm. when I was little, and I haven't seen them since then, and I've been told if you watch them now as an adult, you'll be embarrassed that you love them, but <laughs> I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as familiar. I'm not really familiar with them. The goodies were um, uh, Tim Brooke Taylor... And uh, some guys who worked with the Pythons in college oh, okay. in the Cambridge and stuff. And they had a show where they played three hippie brothers called The Goodies. And, okay. And, and they had a very sketch-like level of comedy um, to their humor. Uh, they were half-hour episodes, and uh, public TV played them in Chicago, and I got to see them. Wow. Um, and they down. were, you, you know, I, again, I've been told, in fact, by David Cross, <laughs> who, uh, who just shot a series in England. Todd Margaret. Um, yeah, he's finished his second season there, and I talked to him about the goodies, and because I've never seen him since then, and uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, you don't want to watch him again. You'll you won't be uh, proud of it. It's <laughs> it's just kind of loud. And uh, look, I think I I can still tell you some of their plots because they were really funny. In one, they're in an apartment, and they dig a hole, or there 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 is created a hole in their living room that goes to the center of the earth. Wow, and in another one, they the, there's a ray that shoots a little kitty cat, and it becomes a kid. it's called Kitty Kong, and he's, and he's destroying the city. That sounds like a fucking funny yeah, video. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's another one. This is my favorite one. They tie a mirror to a butterfly. I don't know why, but the sun hits the mirror and melts the polar ice cap, and the, win and the Winter Olympics are held underwater. Jeez. So it's very sketch comedy <laughs> level of you know jokes and sort of concepts, and then they play it out for half an hour. And I, I love that show. I love Python very much. Python was my favorite, and Saturday Night Live. So I did sketches from when I was like, I did sketches in school in like fifth and sixth grade. I yeah. started writing sketches, and then stand up came along because of the stand up boom, right? Yep. And I was like nineteen or something, and. I thought, well, you know, look at all. I mean, you just—I can write jokes. I can write jokes, so I, I, I don't love jokes. I'm not a stand-up. I just—it was—you could make money. Yeah. If you could write thirty jokes, you could. But make you still—you like it though, because you don't I have to do like stand-up, and you still pop down to UCB. Yeah, or, and, you know. and I do well <laughs> one out of every three times. <laughs> oh, that uh, crowd hates true. everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the crowd is so nice. They're too nice. They really—they really are too nice. Um, um, but but um, I really I I my I, I just have a problem with stand-up. I mean, you've worked very diligently at it, so you have found your voice. I've never been able to sort of find my voice in stand-up and That's feel so funny really that you have that perspective because as an audience man, as just someone who's watched you stand-up for years i feel like you've had it this whole time my perspective is like oh yeah i can i can tell like when i hear you tell jokes like i go yeah that all sounds like that sounds like bob yeah you know what in the last couple of years one thing i've done is i've i've stopped trying to do the alternative thing mm -hmm. because i just i had a great time doing that and i felt like i did it a decent job of it, not a great job. I mean, my favorite comics in that little on cabaret time period were David, mm -hmm. Paul Tompkins, yep. and the Patton. They were just rocking those places. Yeah, I mean, they were really, really great at that. Whatever happened to those guys? <laughs> yeah, we had David on the podcast, and uh, he was talking about how like he's just been kind of through a dry spell with stand up, where he's like, I have nothing to say. 
yeah, lately. He'll figure something out. He always does. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, that's good. Then he should take a break. And he's been doing Todd Margaret, and I think he is re, <clears throat> he's reconfiguring things a little bit. It seems to me. Yeah, those those guys those guys were definitely um, my favorites as well. I mean, along with oh Dana Gould was very Dana. Oh, you do you directed Dana's comedy I did, special? I did. I mean, for what it's worth, I, I let me put my thoughts in you. Yeah, I'm yeah. really proud of that. Isn't there a story the behind that though? With uh... there's a crazy story. Uh, do you want to hear? Sure. It? Yes, yeah, of yeah. course. A little bit boring. No technical. All right. So Jeff Garland. Yep. Was gonna shoot. Was really kind to me and asked me to direct his stand-up special. That um, two companies, uh, Netflix and Rhino, I believe, were going to help him shoot. Mm-hmm. They were going to finance it. So he's going to do it in Second City in Chicago, one of his favorite places, the city and the theater, and going to shoot it on film. And he'd been preparing material for almost a year, going on the road and, and really working hard. But the other thing is he did this thing where he was like working every weekend and working even more as he got closer to the the show. Yeah. Of course, makes sense, right? But Jeff's voice, it was getting rocky even months before. He oh, was like no. losing it, right? So but every week he would do his his gigs, you know, Friday through Saturday or Thursday through Sunday, whatever, and his voice would be shot by the last show. But by the next Wednesday or Thursday, it would come back, right? So but it was getting worse, progressively worse. So we have three film cameras. We're in Second City, two sold-out houses. <laughs> the show is on a Sunday night. Shit. Yeah. He comes in. He His voice is not good. It's gotten ragged and ragged and worse and worse over the progression of these months. He he says, it's going to be fine. You'll see. It's, it's going to be fine. You'll see. <laughs> I always get it back. It's going to be all right. And, and he goes up and does... He does stand up on like Friday night at Second City as part of their improv set just to to do some. And his voice is really ragging and shreddy. And it's not good. <laughs> okay, but it's Friday and the show's Sunday. Yeah. So it's and he's like, Don't worry, it comes back. So the next day, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. So he's like, not talking. Sunday we come in, we're loading in all the Film cameras, <laughs> you know, on dollies, you know, dolly track laid down, th- you know, full crew, everything. And Jeff is like, oh, my God. It's worse than Saturday. It's nothing. He has no voice. So he goes to the doctor and he gets shots. I don't know what they give you. Cortisone. Cortisone, yeah. Cortisone, cortisone shots, cortisone. yeah. And, you know, it just never came back. It never I mean, he had nothing. He was just like this. That's all he had. Oh. He had nothing. So the audience is showing up, and he's he's in the lobby, you know, going, I can't do the show. Just telling people, and they called as many people as they could. Oh. And that was it. Now, it gets worse. <clears throat> oh, <no. laughs> Usually you would have insurance in case something went wrong, right? Well, the guy didn't get insurance. I think probably he thought, what can go wrong? It's one performer and one mic. What am I going to do? Lose my fucking voice? Like, yeah, what, gonna what's going to happen? So all that money on that night was lost. The two companies were really game and great to give us all another chunk, not a huge chunk, but enough. 
And the other thing we did was we Dana was great and said, I'll shoot my show the same night. So we'll get two specials out of one oh. camera setup one night. And so we shot Jeff and Dana's specials. Those are each of those guys. This is a heroic thing they did. Only one show each. You know, usually when you do a stand-up special, you should shoot two or three shows. Right. You know? I mean, any special you see on TV, except for a live special, is two shows married together. Because yeah. you can't guarantee how, whether you're going to hit it or not or whether the audience yeah, different is gonna, audiences yeah, laugh in slightly I mean, different places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can pick and choose, yeah. So these guys went out on a limb, both Dana and, of course, Jeff, and and did one show each, and and... Everything you see, and you know, it was shot on uh, DV. We couldn't shoot on film. It still looks great. I'm very proud of those two specials, and I'm super proud of those guys for doing a heroic job. And what you see is the special. And I think what's interesting about it is Jeff really wanted people to see. He wanted kind of an indie movie feel to mm-hmm. it, and he wanted people to really feel what it's like to see him on a night, like not this. You know, I mean, Jeff is never too refined, but that's what he likes being. You know, he likes chattering with the audience and like really being there with them. It's a very uncab style where it's really yes. just about telling yeah. stories and relaying real experiences rather than having to write 50 jokes per minute. Right. And so Jeff's set is like that. And the show, I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With, or no, it's what's it that's called? Uh, Young and Handsome. Is is like it's very much like an evening with Jeff Garland and and then Dana's, which is on the same stage but looks different because we changed the set just a little in the lighting. Yeah, and the camera movements are very different. With Dana, we're moving around a lot. With Jeff, we're very still. I mean, Jeff doesn't move, um, but Dana's moving around and there's a lot of energy. Dana's is really strong. I mean, that's, that's Dana, you know, and uh, I'm really proud of both of those. And and it was uh, harrowing though you know, scary because you, you got one shot at it. That's, that's scary. To Did like they that. get insurance? <laughs> the second night? I don't know. I hope so. And then what, the story sure you tell about TV Jeff cameras. Garland is a weird phobia of mine. Cause I'm shooting my special in February and that's that. And that is the one thing in the back of my head. Like, what if, if I, I lose, lose my voice that day? Like that's you. Li- there's literally nothing you can do. Yeah, you yeah. could almost like if you had the flu, if you had almost any other malady short of like blood coming through yeah. your skin. Yeah, you could pretty much fake your way through it. But if you lose your voice, that's fucking it. I was yeah. on tour once, uh, and we had um, I think like seven shows ahead of us, you know, like one each night. And I like I had popped my voice out the night before, and so I I learned from. George Carlin, I saw him in uh, in Vegas once, and like he lost track, and then he just was taking a sip of from a glass, and some guy like like woo, get drunk, and he's all no, no, this is this is a, a room temperature flat Coke. It's just Coca Cola that's room temperature and flat. Just took all the fizz out of it, just you know, in a bottle, shaking it, and he just started talking about what he does. He's all I learned this from opera singers. I was talking wow. to an opera singer once, and then when their throat starts to go, they just have room temperature flat Coke, and it just coats it. And it kind of helps you get through it. The sugar, just the sugar comes yeah, the, the syrup. Sugar, the you know, syrup you, you know when, also... you, when you get home tonight, there's going to be 20 cases of flat, warm Coke. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm trying company. to get. I'll also clean out a seized engine. I learned that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Coke's uh, great, you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, also another some. thing that happened is, uh, I think it was a uh, Pepsi. Some guy said he found a mouse inside, uh, uh, a dead mouse Mountain inside of a Dew. can. Right, and yeah. then um, they said that's impossible. If, if if a mouse did get in a can, it would just turn into jelly. 
Oh, there, there would be no mouse left. Oh, that's all that, was their, that was their thing. Nah. And that's impossible because here's you know what, what would happen. You know what's gross about that? I found some jelly in, oh, <laughs> and I drank it. And it was mouse flavored, but it mouse was really good. You know something? Really I like, good. Mouse I like jelly is really store. good. I really <laughs> kind I like of enjoy store, mouse man. jelly. Is that on Jollibee's menu? Jollibee serves mouse jelly on their fucking. Well, we were talking about stand up, but I still like to do it for fun. I mean, it's fun to do, and you connect right with the audience. I did it at set when I was at Saturday Night Live that first year was so hard what year was that 70 uh, 87 87 so was that was that billy crystal christopher guest no that was dennis miller uh hartman that must have been the first that must have been the first season of all them right no it was the second or third season of them in fact the next year is when was it the next year or the third year that yeah so it was towards the end, like Nora Dunn had one season left. Okay. And Jan Hooks had one season left. I always mash up Phil my 80s. Phil was there for a few more years. And, and then uh, Sandler and Spade and, Car- and, and, and Farley came in my third year. I was there for four years. Okay. So um, yeah, I always so get my, my third year. So I had both those casts. I had Dennis, um, John Lovitz, um, Nora... Jan, and then I had the cast with uh, Spade, Farley, Schneider. That was really um, the transitional. It well, was. Yeah. It was. You know, both good casts for different reasons, and and um, so. Do you know, wish you got the Robert Downey Jr. year? <laughs> oh man, <Some> Randy <laughs> that was Quaid. a weird Randy yeah. Quaid sketches. Well, I was I was around, I was around that because my friend Robert Smigel was on that year, and he's oh, wow. the reason I went there. I was in Chicago writing a sketch show with Robert. He had written a show, and it was a hit in Chicago, and then. The way my whole career goes is this. Um, <laughs> in Chicago, I was doing sketch comedy at the Players Workshop of Second City. Um, I met Robert Smigel because he also took classes there. And then he wrote a sketch show with a few friends of his, but it was mostly his writing. And it was a hit show. Ran for like a year and a half, the sketch show that he wrote. And uh, Chicago's a great theater town, but still, I mean, for a, oh, a young crazy, guy yeah. to write the show and it's just selling out three shows a week. That's all those guys did for a living. Jill Talley, Doug Dale. Oh, yeah, I know Hugh Jill. Kelly, um, Dave Reynolds. Um, Jill's Tom Kenny's wife. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. We're in this show. And, 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 and then Robert saw me in a show, and he liked me and my comedy, and we hung out together. And, and then Dave Reynolds, who's written at Pixar the last couple of years and now is writing, I think, freelance stuff, um, was an actor at the time, uh, auditioned and got the lead role in the Franken and Davis movie. Okay. Called Just Another Saturday Night. Oh, I think, right. I think it might have a different title now, but that's what it was called. And he got the lead in Chicago, this actor. And his, he was in Robert's show. And so Robert. Oh, you mean that movie that uh, <laughs> Senator Franken wrote? Yeah. One of the movies <laughs> Senator Franken wrote. Yeah. And, uh, um,. And so then I filled in for Dave because they knew me and they liked me. And then Robert and I started writing our own sketch show. And then he got hired because Frank and Davis came and saw Dave's sketch show, this actor that they hired for their movie. They went to see the show he was in in Chicago. They saw how well-written it was and funny. And then they were that next year, the Robert Downey year, they were executive producers at Saturday Night Live. Oh, wow. Lauren, Lauren gave one group a chance one person one team a chance to to he delegated one time in his life that was such a weird season and that was it's funny that you still see that 
um, that television still operates that way, but that was the season where they basically took a lot of famous, funny actors and made them the cast members. They're like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is a young, funny actor, and Anthony, with Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, Michael and, Hall. and Randy, Randy Quaid. Quaid, and no, no Ringwald no, was on. No, no, I just no, imagine that. No, no, that was, you're thinking but of the Breakfast Club. some of those, you know, I mean, uh, was Lovitz in that cast, and Dana, no, not Dana. Um, that was geez, a weird I don't Lovitz was, remember that cast. But, but, so Robert was there, and Robert wrote some great sketches that year, and he also wrote that last sketch that where the building is burning down and Lauren has to save somebody. Oh my god! And he just saves Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, funny, you know, season-ending commentary on the season. And so then Robert was rehired. And then I met there in an interview in which I was really rude to Lauren, which, you know, really plays well. <laughs> Guys, listen. <laughs> if you want to get a job from somebody important, just treat them like shit. Yep. <laughs> They'll never remember it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so then the following season after that, I believe, was when I was hired. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, then the next season I was hired. I don't know. Maybe so what I, was I the, know. I mean, you know, I always hear, depending on, depending on who you ask, you know, SNL can be one of the most intense experiences it of is. any person's life. I mean, it, it, it is. is. It really is. You know, uh, when when people when people complain sometimes about the show, or if they if they're like, I always feel like there's a naysayer who is never happy with the current season, and he's always like, "But in the old days," and you're yeah, like, yeah. "Yeah, but you were complaining then." Uh, yeah. Oh my God! When I first got there, I don't know if I was talking about this is not the, what I thought it was, and it's kind of more. People are more intense or upset or whatever. And somebody said, yeah, that's why I'm not going to say the name, but mm. one of the original cast members won't even walk on this floor. Oh, wow. <laughs> like they won't even come to that floor of the building when they're in New York and in that building. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's like Jenny one Chase. of the, I'm talking about one of the original like rock star cast members. It's probably Bill Murray. It's, no, it's <laughs> no, not. No, Bill's been on the stage. Guys, oh, that's but, right. That's right. Well, but, but, but you, you, know, you see that from a lot of people, you know, who've been in the, on the show, you know, it, it, you know what? It's just a very intense experience. You have to fucking do an out a 90 minute show every week. Oh my God. New. How about, how about what a big break it is for everyone who gets hired there? They don't, they rarely hire people with experience. It's usually a college kid, right? And it's a massive break for them. So they're super intimidated just on the face of it, just walking in. And then there's a vibe there. And I know it's changed over the years. So commenting on it, me commenting on it now is a little irrelevant, really. Um, but when I was there and I think some of it, I, I think it, before I was there and possibly still now, I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody who's there, even though many of them are friends of mine. You see now there's a bigger cast. There are more writers. I think that helps yep. people to have more people to rely on, more people to talk to you about what you're going through, more people to watch them go up and down. When I was there, it was a bigger group than it was originally when it was original it was like i think seven writers and seven cast members or something Ugh. and when i was there it was like nine writers and six six or seven cast members and now it's like 12 cast members and 25 or 26 oh, wow. writers so there's more i don't know i think that softens the blow for people i hope sure. it does but um it's yeah. a ma it's a pretty magical experience though i it never is. I, I wish it was better for me you know part of it was my own a lot of it was my own crappy attitude 
And a lot of it was my own immature, um, uh, just being an immature person. I mean, you know, this I, I'm almost 50 and I've got two kids and they're getting older now. And you kind of think about what what is the value of, of parenting? You know, what's the point of it? You know, even people who are poorly parented, they grow up into adults. Right. <laughs> they go to prison, but they, they become adults. It's not like they don't, they die because they didn't learn manners. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They don't. And a lot of them, you know, become Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Harvey Your Weinstein. kids are adorable, by the way, because we, we were neighbors for a long time and, and you, you guys didn't have a dog, and so you would show up and you would walk my dog. You and the yeah. kids would walk my dog, Scott, and they were so they were so sweet. Oh, yeah. They were so they're sweet. They're really Scott. good kids. Yeah. And 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 I lately I've thought a lot about myself when I was twenty and twenty five when I went to SNL, and you know I used to think, oh, I just had a problem with authority. I was just that kind of kid, and that's kind of cool, actually, right? Um, but now I look back on it and I go, wow, I was kind of socially a, a dick. <laughs> I, was, I was socially a real jerk and I just didn't know it. And I didn't know, I, I would, I, I look at my son and I look at all of the experiences he has and, and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm a very hands-on dad and I help out a lot and, and, and the schools that he's in are extremely, um, you know, they're, they're very involved and they're constantly looking at what they're doing and working on the socializations of the kids. You know, it's not just read this book and answer 10 questions. You know, it's it very engaging with the kids, you know. And there's just a maturity and an interaction that he has that I don't think I had at the age of... I, I think where he's at now at 13 is like me at 27. Oh, wow. Wow. Because he, you don't just dump him off at school and be like, yeah, figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, like... Well, how are you socially oh, well, a dick? Think, like, what would you do that would make you think that you were a dick? I mean, you know, you, well, we, we talked about, you know, me getting the job at SNL, and I was an asshole when I went in for the interview. <laughs> I was like, can I swear? Yeah, yeah of course. I was like, fuck this guy, because he's the boss. Right. Just because he's the boss. Right. Yeah. I've never met him. <laughs> But fuck him because he decides whether I get the job or not. <laughs> I still fuck get that him because reaction. he has money. Yep. You know, fuck him because he's not a writer or a comic. Although Lauren actually was a writer and is a very funny guy. Yep. And and over the years, if you get close enough, you see that he actually has good taste. Mm -hmm. Like he likes the funny stuff. Now you might say, well, why did he hire this person or that person? Another thing he does is try to get people that everyone will like, not just him. You know, he, he does try to... I, look, I don't want to talk about him too much, but sure, I sure. was a dick. I was right. a dick. That's my point. And the way I just handled myself, but not only in that interview, then going there and, you know, working with other people yeah. and working in this system, it's not even like, I don't have any respect for you because you're in charge. It's like... I don't want to learn how you do this. I don't want to worry about what you have, what you're trying to worry about as a person in charge or what this show is about. I just yeah. want to do what I want to do and fuck you. <laughs> well, fuck did you, you did you did you feel more comfortable then when you went to the Stiller show because that sort of seemed to be like a, a group of kind of young, 
you know, punk rock comic types like you and Janine and Cross. Oh my and God, Dino. I had such a good time there. I think I was still a dick though, <laughs> um, but but they were way more accommodating of it. Judd how did, how did and, you get involved? You wrote. I and- mean, Judd and Ben gave me so much respect, and I, you know, so I was able to be a. a dick and nobody cared they were like that's cool he's really smart and funny <laughs> um but no i'm still an asshole were, and, you, uh, were you at snl but and I ben wrote was really there? funny stuff huh were you at snl and ben was there i was we shared an office is that so that's how you met him yeah we shared an office for a, the time that he was there a few months right yeah i think it was like eight weeks <laughs> i don't know <laughs> how what was you know when when ben when you guys put that show together, it was sort of it was a, it was a different spin than what had current what what had been you know sketch comedy on television. That it was it felt more of a a direct attack on pop culture. Well, than- that comes from Ben and and probably Judd, but certainly Ben's sensibility. I mean, if you you know Tropic Thunder and the Ben Stiller show, there's yeah. a lot that those two things share, and and that's Ben, and it's it was his show, and. Um, so a lot of it comes from Ben. I, I, when you look at the show, look, you, it's an interesting process that that show went through, the Ben Stiller show, and I was only, um, I, I mean, obviously I was there, but I was, Ben and Judd were the ones who went through, who dived through hoops trying to make the show work for the network. And I, I am only um, partly... A, you know, uh, a participant in that effort. You know, there were like three pilots shot, maybe four. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so just getting a construction of the show that worked for the network was really hard for those guys. They just couldn't please the network. I mean, it's hard. It was, you know, doing sketch shows, sketch shows are very hard to pitch. They're very hard for networks to say yes to. Then they're very hard for networks to sort of really back and get behind. They're tough to execute. I mean, you know, yeah. li- live. Look at the Kelsey Grammer sketch show. <laughs> well, live. <laughs> nah. Uh, again. Li- again. Li- for, the, for the fifth time. <laughs> live, like live sketch. It's just that weird thing of, you know, comedy is such a difficult thing to put on tape. Like it's it's one thing to do a live show and like you're everyone's there and you're in caught up in the energy. But capturing that is just like capturing stand-up on tape. It's like it's not as easy as just, oh, just be funny in front of the camera. Like there's a real fucking craft you know, to it. I think the hardest part is that what most shows that you watch, there's like a point of view to the show that you like. Mm-hmm. And and it's it can be encapsulated in the title sequence. You know what I mean? Like that's what this show's about. Like it's, the kids in the it, hall opening it, or it's something. It's a dad and he does this, you know, and he's angry oh, at the world yeah. or whatever. Most sitcoms or whatever. Sure. Most shows the title sequence sort of tells you where the show is coming from. And a sketch show, just that it's by its nature, is a lot of different people, a lot of different you know, points of view, hopefully a variety in the sketches. And it's just not what works on TV. It's just not it's it's very hard to get that cohesive point of view that people can grasp within a certain amount of time. Like if you have to watch ten episodes to get where the show's coming from, that's too many. Mm-hmm. It's imp- if if you only watch one, if the sketch show only if you can watch the first five minutes and understand it, it's probably like really boring and too thin. Like it's just this one stand-up's idea of a sketch show, <laughs> right? And then it's like great for five minutes, and then it's like, what about someone else's idea? Could we have? Because that's the joy of sketch shows right. is the variety. So if you don't have enough variety. That's boring. And if you have almost like the normal amount, 
that's too much for a TV show because a TV show needs to be focused. You need to go, I get what the show's about. I get where it's coming from. So the hardest thing to find with a sketch show is, you know, Monty Python, here's all these guys, but they're all working in the same area. They're using references that are on the same level. They're all being equally kind of silly, equally kind of smart kids in the hall. I mean, they're very different guys, you know, but there is a vibe together to them. Right. They are, there's a kind of a, a sweet side to all their stuff. It's very human and, and it's, it's less, um, conceptualized and more about the characters it seems to me and and so and you know tim and eric i mean how did those two guys find each other i I still don't know (laughs) i mean how do they find each other they they really do equally contribute to that show i think they may have a different point of view on that but i think and they both enjoy it equally they're like me and david i mean david and i are very different guys but that show was almost without exception. Probably there's one or two things. There's nothing we did in four years that we both didn't go, that's the way to go with that. That's going to be funny. Yeah, this is the angle. We didn't have, I never had to go, well, I don't like it, but if you like it, we'll put it on. Right. We never did that. I didn't do it. He didn't do it. So that's the hardest thing to find so that there, there feels like there's a point of view I'm working with the group, the Birthday Boys. The oh, birthday it's boys fucking are amazing, right? Yeah. Because of that very reason, you know, there's a level of like excellence to their material. Like it's all there's nothing that's like, oh, that piece was horrible, and then they have one piece that's awesome. <laughs> like mm. all their stuff is they funny. are so consistent. Yeah, yeah, it's consistent, and it all and. They're a huge group, seven guys. Yeah, it's a big group, yeah. And they all, if you're in a room with them and they're pitching ideas, it's not like one of them is like, that fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, they're all laughing at the same things. They're all pushing the idea in the same direction. That's rare. That's the hardest thing to find with a sketch show. And I would say that the Ben Stiller show, even though we, the great thing about it was we were all friends. We got along great. I had so much fun. In fact, when it ended... I remember very consciously thinking, oh, my God, if I could just have that again in my life, that's my dream is to hang out with people I like that much every day and, and do comedy with them. Um, did you write the Manson sketch or were you just I, I did it? write it. That's I did write it. I wrote all those Manson things. And, <laughs> I wrote Manson. <laughs> yeah. Um, look at if, if anyone listening, look it up. I mean, just look I, up Manson the DVD, for this. But, I mean, I would argue that the Stiller show is a little more fractured than some of the, you know, the big, the great sketch shows that's, you know, uh, are referenced. But I love the Ben Stiller show, and it has incredible, very strong moments, and it was definitely a, a important show. And they put batteries in your locker because they think you're a robot. Yes! Oh, <laughs> uh, Melrose Heights. Uh, was it Melrose yeah, Heights? Yeah, nine, two, three, four. Not five. a yeah, robot. Yeah. Um, Not a robot. That was really Vaughn funny. is robot. Vaughn is robot. And then, uh, was it PJ O'Pooterton's? TJ O'Pooterton's. That's a sketch David wrote. And uh, an interesting sketch because it um, it was really like a story. It was like a little film, like a, like a little feature film, like yeah. a little story to it. And that's just... We we didn't you know do that at SNL you know there's no story sketches at SNL yeah. some of those old Norman Mailer ones are like those old Norman I mean um, whoa Norman Mailer no 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 by the way I watched a documentary on um, Muhammad Ali the other day because the documentaries on Muhammad Ali are awesome 
<laughs> go on Netflix and watch them all. And he used the word negritude. <laughs> he can do that. You think he can? I think he can. Wait, do what's that. the guy? You're thinking, what's the guy you're thinking about? The one that did all the Wait, first. Norman Mailer said negritude. Yep. He was the essence of negritude. <laughs> I was like, really, really? Was he the essence of that made-up word that you just used? Yeah. Not Norman Mailer. There, there was a guy who did a lot. Like he, he's the one that made that. Uh, like tomorrow night. What was the uh, the movie he made that never got released? I don't know. He he made like the 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 Dolce Gabbana, um, the one uh, sketch with Gil Radner. He the one where um, uh, John Belushi uh, is walking around the graveyard. He's like, oh, oh yeah, 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 that Tom guy, Schiller. Tom Schiller. You ever see his movie? No. Oh yeah, I know yeah. Tom. I yeah. Yeah, like they they showed it last year, I think, at Which, the, the Egyptian, the Martian movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's fucking crazy and like really fun. Yeah. And it came out the same year as it has the kid, the main kid from Gremlins, is the star of it. And wow. it came out like the same year as Gremlins. Oh wow. Yeah. Some say it, like it's the one that kind of maybe didn't make it progress too much further. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, but Killed it's a real high concept. Like you know the. Uh, oh, it's really wild. Yeah, it's really crazy. What's like, it called? Uh, Tomorrow night or something? No, that's that's. Tom uh, Schiller. He made films at SNL for years, and he made some really cool films with an interesting tone to them. Very different from, uh, you know, the rest of the show. Yeah. I'm trying to find this. There was there was one particular video, or there was one particular film that they ran. It was it was Rich Hall, and Rich Hall uh, worked at a grocery store, and his boss was a dick to him, and his boss was Jim Belushi, and. He uh, oh, wow. every time they someone would walk up to the grocery store door, they'd step on this mat and the doors would open. And one day he was cleaning and he like pulled the mat away and someone walked up to the doors and they didn't open and they just smacked into the door. Uh -huh. And so he made this connection that it's the mat that opens doors. Oh, yeah. So he cut out shapes of his shoes and put them on the bottom of his shoes. And every oh, time he walked God. up to a door, it would just open. Oh, that's great. And it just there was this whole narrative about how he ends up killing his boss. And I, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't that fucking is, remember. It's really... uh, Nothing Lasts Forever. Is that Tom Schiller's film? That's Tom Schiller's film, which is still not available anywhere. Wow. It was never released. And it's, it was, like, really expensive. But it's got Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Zach Gilligan. Zach Gilligan, that was the yeah, guy. that's the guy. Mort Saul's in it. Mort Saul. Yeah, it's a really, really weird movie, but so much fun to watch. That's so cool that you saw it. Was Tom there? When Tom you... was there, yeah. He showed a bunch of his shorts from SNL. Yeah. Uh, and then he, uh, then uh, you know, it was a, it, the Egyptian show was a whole, like, kind of evening with Tom Schiller. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was it was so awesome. I'm really, like, it was like a cool moment. It was like my third date with my current girlfriend, too, so sweet date. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you prefer, just because, you know, you write and you direct, but you also act, do you or do you like just being in the hands of someone else? Like you know, when you when you do like when you do Breaking Bad, when you do Breaking Bad or Curb or like other you know, stuff like that. The great thing about it, and, and congratulations on Breaking I, Bad. I by love, the way. Yeah. thank you. I I, the great thing about acting is, I mean, Breaking Bad is a challenge. Do are we are we in a playground? Do you hear talking? Did we just oh, go we into probably a playground? Oh, it's a bunch of women. Yeah, they're doing a podcast over there. It's probably yeah. Yeah. Rivers it's called ScreamingWomen.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's loads of fun. By the it's time really this podcast airs, someone will have bought that domain. Well they done. probably will. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, sure, so, I'm sure it's already a pretty despicable uh, we find website. Out. Oh, it's fun, to, it's fun to act because, you know, you can just focus on one thing, you know. And, yeah. uh, I mean, but Breaking Bad is 
it's just a gift I got. I don't know what happened. I I didn't die. Uh, I lived long <laughs> enough, and someone gave me something really, really wonderful. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, you know, but it, it's a challenge. You know, I have to really focus on it and think about what I'm doing and 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 do all that acting stuff. Uh, and and it's an amazing group of people, and they're very supportive. And uh, I, you know, it's just it's amazing. It's wonderful. I mean, I I would say that acting is uh, in a way like easier or something like a little bit of a vacation, except that breaking bad is real work you know i mean you've got to show up for that show oh yeah <laughs> you can't yeah. come in like i kind of know my lines not, not it'll be okay not <laughs> if not if the lead actor who you know not if cranston is no. always just like right there you and he can't, is and he's the guy like and he is and you're like you can't say i kind of know my stuff it'll be fine you'll like it <laughs> we just, no we'll work it out we'll just do the lines we per se but i'll get the idea across do you go to a different part in your brain than i mean i assume you know when you're doing sketch you probably i i don't know is there a thing in your head that clicks and goes okay this is the sort of this is the buy in this sketch well, and here's what we're trying to do i is don't that- know how brains work but uh <laughs> i would say that's that it is a different part of my brain because it is i you can't i can't do the two things simultaneously i i if i'm doing breaking bad i really focus on let's say i'm doing it next week on a wednesday i start on sunday or even a week before to start to really look at the script and ask myself, what's going on? What am I saying? What am I thinking I'm saying? What is the other person saying? Because your I character to, too is very like, you know, just always has, is hiding something, is yeah, kind of playing he's for his always, own. He, he's, he's got his own motives. He's asking himself what the other people are trying to get. And a lot of times he's changing his tack in midstream yeah. because... He's always trying to manipulate everyone, but if it's not going, if it's not working, then he has to move. He goes, he goes wherever he has to go to get what he wants out of the person. And uh, so that's what's oftentimes happening with a monologue or a longer run with that character. So that's where you just start breaking it down and ask you, you know, and I really, really focus on it. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'd say it's different because, you know, you, you don't use the other parts. I mean, the hardest thing is, I, writing is hard, but really rewarding. I think the hardest thing is when you're trying to write something that you um, you don't have yet, but you think you'll get, and all you're really doing is scotch taping it together a little better each time. Each time you put a little piece of scotch tape on it to tie it together, you feel good, <laughs> but then that goes away, and you kind of go, I thought I fixed it. <laughs> and then and then you and you don't know whether I, I've been writing this show um for um Bad Robot. Uh, me and Mark Brooks have been writing a, a, a sitcom that really came out organically for us and we pitched it around and Bad Robot was is helping us to to hopefully make it come to fruition. Awesome. And and there have been things in it that, you know, you kinda weren't sure if they were gonna land or if you were going to if they were going to have a real meaning and and we've been very lucky because over the course of working on it they've kind of everything's come into its own or solved itself but you can you there's just a real scary time with a lot of stuff i think with screenplays and and tv shows where you're setting them up where you're like not sure if that little piece that you scotch taped in will actually fit and have meaning or with will always look like it's just a cheap shortcut 
that yeah. you just stuck in. Can you walk away from stuff and go, okay, it's done, or do you? It, are you someone who? Yeah, I can. You can. I, I okay. totally can. Um, probably not as easy as I used to be able to. I used to walk away from stuff pretty quick and go, yeah, we did it. <laughs> um, and, and I think I turned out some work that wasn't very good as a result of that. And I am not. And and I knew it. And that's the worst thing, Chris. And maybe you know this feeling. I don't know. The worst thing of all is to get a bad review and agree with it. Oh, you yeah, know? absolutely. I, I mean, mean, if you get a bad review and you go, this guy's an asshole, you're fine, you know? But if you're reading negative reviews and you're going, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It yeah. can even go as far as, like, well, particularly with stand-up, if you don't feel like you're doing good work, even if the audience is laughing, you will still feel like, but I didn't, no, I wasn't yeah. what yeah, I should have been. Yeah, but that's why, like I said, I do, on, I do um, UCB, and I do stand-up like once a month or every two months or something, and, and yeah. the audience is amazing. Yeah. They're yeah. always happy yeah. and very kind, overly kind, but I don't, I know if I, I, know if I did good or not. I yeah. walk off. It doesn't matter that they cheered and clapped and laughed. I go, that sucked, man. That was a mess. <laughs> I got lost. I didn't nail these jokes. I it just never came together. And then you know when it worked, yeah. you know. It's weird. I mean, are you? Do you feel like you're hard on yourself, or are you pretty? I think good? I used to be. Weirdly, I used to be tougher on myself, but it was kind of a fake, egotistical tougher on myself. Like, look how. Look how angry I can be at myself. <laughs> um, um, I just think I have a better, like, I just, after all these years and all these projects, I think I'm just better at being honest about really where it is and not having any ego involved, not feeling like, look how cool I am because I can diss myself. Do you think some of that just comes with, with age and like wisdom and, you know, wow, that I shit's think not so. important? I mean, the other side of it is I think people who, there, there are people who can't be critical of themselves and they get older and it gets worse. Like they really can't be because now they have years of shitty work behind them. <laughs> and if and they're it, critical, then they're going to completely unravel just, their entire lives. They can't unravel everything. You know what I mean? I mean, one of the great things about having some bombs, like uh, some of my feature films that I've made that just did not do well at all and, and got lambasted, um, is you, you really ask yourself, like, well, what do I have to offer? I mean, I didn't deliver on that. And, you know... Um, Am I, do I have anything? Do I have a right to be here? You know what I mean? I mean, we used to joke about it in Mr. Show. David and I would always joke about the, the mayor of Hollywood asked us to leave. <laughs> we got a message, we got a, a ticket or a thing in the mail saying, please leave show business today. <laughs> Bob, it's Dave Hollywood. Uh, listen. <laughs> We've had it. <laughs> Enough with your shenanigans. Um, Beverly Hills and I were talking. And but I mean, if you, if you do kind of get asked to leave, uh, it's a good thing. It can be a good thing where it makes you go, all right, well, what, what do I have to offer? And, you know, what I've done a lot in the last couple of years is I've written a lot of little short comedy pieces and whatever occurs to me. Uh, Bob pitches a movie of, is fucking great. Little things like that. Yeah. It's good stuff. The like Lincoln that. Hunter, and the that, Bigfoot thing stuff, is so fucking yeah, funny. That just makes you go, yeah, see, this is what I do. You know, it's, it's kind of getting back to your voice or what you have to offer. You know, and, and if you just go, I've got something. Maybe it's not everything. Maybe it's not as much as I wished. 
you know, it was. But I know I've got something. It's a voice. I'm good at it. I, I'm when I when I nail it, it's strong. Oh, you had the. That's the honesty button. <laughs> you, you really have to snark it up, honest. Bob. Please mute yourself if you're going to be mm. honest. Uh, we can't take it. I was watching. I was watching. Going the I was watching his arm. It was like watching a car on a cliff. Anyhow, and I was like, it's really, the stakes were that high. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was that high. You get it. So what are you? So what? What other stuff are you working on right now? What are you? You're working on the um, thing with the birthday boys. You're doing this pilot for. You're doing yeah, the script the for Bad, Bad Robot. Robot thing, and then I'm. I'm just. Uh, just acting here and there, and um, we're going to do the San Francisco Sketch Fest. Great. Me and the Birthday Boys with the show we did here in town. It's really a fun show. Was it Big Se- Sweater or something? Seven like? Man Sweater. Yeah. Are you shooting that for anyone, or are you guys... Um, you know, that is a prototype of the show we're pitching to some of the networks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's me and the Birthday Boys awesome. together. Yeah. And it's like I replaced David with seven guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they all just please, jump out of a David suit. Please forgive yeah. me, birthday boys. <laughs> I mean, it must be. That's, I'm sure uh, it's an honor. Uh, uh, so I'm doing that, and I'm doing the, the show with Bad Robot, which I think is just great. I, I certainly hope that goes, but we'll see. And then uh, I'll be doing Breaking Bad again, and uh, I think. You never, <laughs> you never really know. But I don't think they'd I, I've kill been, you off I've been the... told that... I might have some work the, there. One of my favorite things about the way that you approach characters is that there's a real, I don't know, it's almost like 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 the like the uh, the thing on Curb, like the porn star guy. Yeah. There's like it's oh, like God, yeah. it's like a sincere. It's he's not. He's not douchey. He's just like a sincere. I don't know. He's so sincere about this horrible thing, and that, and it's so endearing to just to just see you like just be so, you know. Wow, you know it. I, I, if there's any part of Saul Goodman that's endearing, <laughs> but either, I mean, either I've done something right or you it's, need. It's just love, no, no. It's just that, it's just that from the character's point of view, he's doing 100 percent the right thing in his mind, and that's exactly that to me is like that's how you portray a character. There's right. a character. Right. A character cannot doubt his motivations. Like he has to believe in what he believes and, right. and believe in what he's doing. Yeah, I yeah, well that's And be committed. Absolutely. I guess it's a matter I it's guess it's a level of commitment. commitment. And I feel like I that's one thing I think I brought I did in, in sketch comedy too. I mean there's scenes in Mr. Show that I think I performed in the same with the same tools that I used to do breaking bad. And uh and and I know what you mean, and I I agree, and that and that's how I think you sh- you gotta always look at it as an actor is like, if you're playing a bad guy, you know my character doesn't always think of himself as a bad guy, right? He's just self interested, <laughs> and and he thinks what he wants, he's justified in wanting, and and so that's what he's doing here. And an interesting thing about that is, you know, at Breaking Bad, I wasn't supposed to be a regular or you know, a semi-regular on the cast. I was just going to do three or four episodes. And, um, and, and I didn't know what was going on in the show for like a season and a half. <laughs> and they knew it. And especially Cranston knew it. And he would look at me and he'd go, you don't know what's happening. Do you? <laughs> because occasionally I'd give a line reading and they'd be like, no, well, that's not really the line. Cause you, cause of course you think that so-and-so is, and I'm like, Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd look at me and go, you don't know what's happening. But look, I mean, part of that was I hadn't watched all the episodes, but part of it was, I only want to care about what I'm caring about. I don't want to know 
who this person is to that person because all I want to know as an actor is, and by the way, you know, I, 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 now I know. Now I've watched the whole thing. Now I've read, I read the whole script. But in a lot of ways, you know, the, the, what Woody Allen does where he sends people like the pages, mm-hmm. yeah. that's all you need to know. I mean, it's really, in a lot of ways, all you should need to know as an actor is, this is my character. This is what he wants. I don't care what you want. I don't care where else your character's going after this. I don't care what else happened in... Because you wouldn't have... You, that character would not have that omniscient worldview right. of the story. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. All I care about is this. And so in a lot of ways, that works for me, I think. But I, yeah, I can make it work for me now. I just try to remember what matters and forget what I shouldn't know about. <laughs> I don't I guess you probably don't you maybe you maybe you kind of have some sense of this now but just you know when people talk about like when they when they list like oh these are the top sketch shows of all time. Yeah. I mean it would be oh Python Kids in the Hall Mr. Show like you know it totally comes up and you guys completely Influenced well, a generation of young comics. I'm one of them. I, That's that really show, great. Just, well, I look. We we did material that we loved and believed in. I mean, we worked really hard on it, and it was a very pure expression of. Could our you sense. have done that show on network television? Oh no, no. There's no way. There's no way. It's too weird and esoteric, and it goes too many places, and th- there'd be too much scrutiny of it. You know, HBO left us alone. I mean, they really left us alone. <laughs> I was 14. I remember being very excited because 12 o'clock midnight was Mr. Show, followed by a real sex, maybe 20 can or something. You, wow. Can you <laughs> imagine having to argue with a network about why you should be able to do a sketch about shitting on the American flag? Like, there's oh, no, you would never be able to. Right. You'd never do it. Yeah. <laughs> so they, um, you know, I mean, in interesting, and I don't know how things have changed over there, but I'm sure they have because things are different now. But, um, at the time, Chris Albrecht said to us, uh, you know, whatever you guys do, it's got to be something different. It's got to be something I couldn't see anywhere else. So that's like the greatest gift an artist can have mm-hmm. in a lot of ways is a, is a boss who says, that's what I want from you, something really different and unique. That's what you all, everybody kind of wants to make. And that's what they had to make. That was their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they made anything you could see elsewhere, it'd be like, why did I pay for HBO? Right. Yeah. And um, so that was cool. Well, yeah. I, I, it's amazing that you were able to see that as, I don't know, I think part of me would have been like, oh, fuck, what do you mean we have, oh, God, oh, this better be different and good. <laughs> uh, it took me a minute, it took me a little while to think about what is he saying? I mean, uh, it almost felt like, isn't what we've done because they'd seen us do shows, live shows and all, before they gave us a show. Right. They didn't give us a show and then we prepped it. I mean, we'd been doing it around town for a year and a half. Uh, we did five or seven shows in, in the course of a year and a half um, that they came to see and, you know, had kind of the structure that we started with. Um, but I, that was the only thing that threw me about that comment initially. It was like, yeah, isn't, that's what we've been doing, right? I mean, are you saying what? I guess. I guess. I, 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 it didn't take me long to go. I guess. I, if, get, I get it. I get it. His point is, do what you're doing. Don't make it safer. Don't soften it, and don't try to look like other TV shows because that's HBO. You have to pay for. I shouldn't be saying this, but you realize you pay for HBO, right? <laughs> well, all television is paid for now, pretty yes, much. That's true. But I guess. I guess it's just sort of. It's. It's the. It's that weird thing that happens when you. 
when you go from just doing something to all of a sudden being aware of what you're doing. Like, I don't, this is the only, probably the only sports reference aside from bowling that I ever make on this episode, but I worked at golf courses when I was growing up. And the way that you could fuck up a person's golf game oh, yeah. is just by saying, oh, that little thing you do at the top of your swing really is good. really great. <laughs> and all of a sudden it makes them aware of what yeah. they're doing. They're like, oh, what? Yeah. And then it just fucking ruins them. Chris, yeah. I did that to a friend. <laughs> we were betting on each hole. <laughs> and he was beating me. Skins. And I did exactly that. And it, it worked. worked. <laughs> I said, man, I don't know what you're doing. I can't really tell. But you're pulling it back. Just right. <laughs> you did it on purpose? I'm trying to watch and figure it out. I did it on purpose. I told you. Sometimes That's it has fantastic. to be done. Well, Bob, we're at the end of our right. hour, but uh, thank you so much for being here, man. This was really fun. Oh, great. Thanks, man. Let's, I like the joking around part. I don't know how I feel about the serious part. The serious <laughs> parts are good. The serious parts are good because people want to hear about that stuff. I mean, a lot of people listen to the show. You know, a lot of them are young writers or comedy performers, or and they just... You know, so having someone come on like yourself whose work they've admired and watched for years and kind of yeah. getting a sense of how you did what you did, I mean, I, I, I would listen to it. Well, you know, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And as much as I don't want to lecture people and stuff, I do like talking about showbiz. And I'm actually going to do like a some kind of presentation at like Stanford as part of the Sketch Fest. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they're tr trying to put it together now. But I, I was thinking about trying to do that like a i don't know about a tour but like where i would do that because i know what you mean as, as much as i feel weird about talking honestly about my career or my experiences you know that's what you, i love reading books about yeah, yeah. people's careers and they're just kind of like Talking, you, one of my favorite books is that Bogdanovich interviews with Orson Welles. Oh wow, oh, it's yeah, a yeah, massive yeah, yeah. book. Yeah. He sat with him for hours and hours and hours, yeah. and it's not—I don't think it's edited at all. <laughs> it's just running on, but it's just awesome. You don't have to sit down and read it like a novel, you know. Right. But yeah. it's just great, and one of the great things about it is not even what Orson Welles is saying; it's just the. It's just the amount of experiences he's he, he's had, and how much sort of you you get you get like energized off reading it. Of like, there's so many ideas out there. There's so many things you can do and try to do. And you know, he did plays and radio and films, and he shot them independently, and he shot for studios, and he acted, and and he did magic, and he did he just did everything. And and that kind of just that energy can can sort of refuel you to keep working at what you're working at or whatever. The well, Bernie yeah, well, Brillstein book, too, is a great read. Another for one just, too. like, just tons of old showbiz stories. Because well, to you, it's probably just like, oh, those are just, that's just stuff I did. That's not, whatever. That's just what I, but to other people, you know what else? those experiences are a commodity. You know what else, Chris? It, it, the weird thing is that, like, uh, no matter what, however you, you, no matter what you do, you sound like you're... <laughs> Doing a tribute to yourself, <laughs> you, you sound like you, you can't you can't take that dimension out right. of even just talking about yourself. Right? Is aren't I great? Look what I did. Uh, I'm really special, aren't I? You can't take it away. It's just it's it is within talking about yourself. It is implicit. But the thing is, I don't feel that way. And when I say. When I say, look, I was an immature guy in a lot of ways, and I was kind of a dick, and socially, 
I didn't play things right. I didn't learn things quickly. I didn't handle things well. I mean it. Right. I am not proud of that. I don't think that's cool. I. It's a shame. It's sad because but, it made it meant years. It took me years to get better at that, and I think it let you know it. It slowed me down. I mean. And, and, and But somehow when you talk about it, even when you talk about your faults or you admit that you were short-sighted or did something wrong, it still sounds like you're going, but I'm pretty cool. Aren't I? <laughs> but I don't, I don't think so because I think it, you know, I, I would see that if, if all you did was talk about, and then I invented this, and then I did this thing. But when, you're, when, you, when you lay everything out as like these are the full breadth of human experiences that I have, successes and failures, here's how I fucked up. Here's how I got lucky in some places. Some stuff succeeded, some stuff didn't. I mean, that's just, that's what I feel like the older we get, we are required to do for the younger generation is say, yeah. like, this is the wisdom that we have gained. Learn from it what you can. Yeah. Sometimes shit works. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm a person like you are a person, and you'll yeah. be here someday. Like, it I think, really is. I think when I think about that stuff, about how I just, how I sized situations up, how I handled myself, how I thought about other people and managed it or didn't manage it well. What I think about is, you know, you can be the most talented guy, and I'm not saying I am, but you can have <laughs> loads of talent, you can have loads of skill, and that can get you very far. You can be socially completely inept, but it's going to bite you in the ass at some point. So whether... You, you know, whatever your talent is, that's great. Keep working on that. But if you're not having success in that, you know, because showbiz is unfair, it's it, it's slow, it, it, it works in strange ways, uh, take some time and work on the other side of it, which is you. Yeah. I mean, work on that, too, because that that's going to come in real handy. Well, it's it's, uh, it's when it's, you get your break or or if you get your break or it will lead to you getting your break. But not only that, but when stuff dries up, people will always remember that you were nice. And if you're a fucking dick, I mean, like when you there are some people that you see and, you know, I mean, I hate to present it this way, but they just pop up on like failed project after failed project. And then you kind of go. How does this person keep getting those chances? And then you meet them, and they're s wonderful people. Right, right. And you're like, oh, well, it's because these people want them to succeed. They want to work with them because right. it's not fun to work with dicks. Right, right, right. And that's where you see things, a lot of things look like nepotism in show business. Well, he's already in. He's in. Well, he's in, and people like him. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, who am I going to work with? The stranger I don't know or the guy I like right. who I've met and is a really then nice guy and is a hard worker and... And so, you know, anyhow. Well, all right, man. Yeah. I can you. say you have not been a dick at all today. You've uh, been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you right. for being here, Thanks, Bob Odenkirk. All right. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, 
Had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? Follow Happily Never After Dan and Nancy on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Happily Never After Dan and Nancy early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.